You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For centuries, men and women, young and old, have been affected by a disease in which little was known except its symptoms. In 1948, a group of scientists and physicians came together to take action against this condition called arthritis, which resulted in the formation of the Arthritis Foundation. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Patience White, Chief Public Health Officer for the Arthritis Foundation. She is also Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Welcome. Thank you for having me on, Laura. Today we are talking about arthritis, the disease itself, and the cost it imposes on the U.S. economy. What is the prevalence and the cost of arthritis in the U.S. today? Well, it's an amazing figure, but there are 46 million Americans with arthritis, wow. and we, we really uh, define it as doctor-diagnosed because many people, as you know, say I have an ache and pain. So this is CDC figures where they actually ask people, has a doctor diagnosed you with arthritis? So there are 46 million of them, and they're estimating the cost is $128 billion. Wow. So it's a certainly a rising issue out there, and... In 2030, it's going to be 67 million people with arthritis. Wow. What do you attribute the growth rate to? Well, I think most of us know that the baby boomers are getting older, so arthritis does affect people over the age of 65 more than people who are under 65, but it's not just the old folks, but more people will be getting older. I think they're, everybody knows that something like 7,000 people every hour are turning 60 for the next 16 years. So that's clearly playing a big role in increasing the prevalence. But also, our waistlines are growing, and we're not as physically active as we used to be. And that's a big factor, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Obesity is a big factor. Well said. (laughs) What are the most common types of arthritis? Well, the most common types of arthritis is osteoarthritis. I'm happy to go through those a little bit more Please in detail. Do. And I'll go through the list, and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about each one. Osteoarthritis affects about 21 million. Gout affects about 5.1 million. Fibromyalgia, about 3.7 million. And rheumatoid arthritis, about 2.1 million. So you can see it's a very common problem. And osteoarthritis is the, is the kind of arthritis that most of us think about when you get older. It's been called the wear and tear arthritis, but I think we're learning from research that it's probably more than that. There are lots of reasons why you can get osteoarthritis, and obviously if you have a prior injury, that can give you a problem with osteoarthritis when you get older, as well as weight is a major factor and lack of physical activity. But genetics play a role. Mm-hmm. So you can get osteoarthritis of your hands, but it's more commonly of your hips and knees and back. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease that really is an inflammatory process that causes a lot of destruction. Literally, the synovium becomes engorged with a lot of cells that eat away your cartilage and bone. Most people know what gout is. It's an abnormality, a genetic abnormality in your handling of uric acid, and you get an arthritis that can actually be quite destructive if it's not controlled. And fibromyalgia is really a musculoskeletal pain syndrome that people have. They have a lot of pain, and helping people with fibromyalgia, a lot of it is getting people physically active. And the the bottom line here is physical activity plays a big role in getting people to do better with all these kinds of arthritis. What are some of the differences between the more inflammatory versions and the others? Well, let's contrast. I think the classic would be osteoarthritis in contrast with rheumatoid arthritis. 
As I mentioned, osteoarthritis tends to affect your weight-bearing joints, your low back, your neck, and your hands. And it is one that if you ask your symptoms, people tend to do well when they're at rest and when they might be a little stiff when they get up, but it's only with more activity that their pain becomes worse until you're in the final stages when you may have no cartilage uh, available in your joint surface and you have pain all the time. But the majority of people feel quite well when they're at rest. They may be a little stiff when they get up, and then they have pain as they move along. Now, contrasting that with rheumatoid arthritis, any joint can be affected. So your shoulders can be affected as well as your wrists. Interestingly enough, your low back is not as affected by rheumatoid arthritis, and your symptoms are exactly the opposite. You have trouble when you first wake up. It's You're stiff usually for several hours. They call it a gelling phenomenon. You just can't get going. You have a lot of pain. And with activity, your symptoms tend to improve. And when you look at the what's going on in the joint, as I mentioned, there's an awful lot of wearing down of cartilage and abnormalities in the alignment of your joint with osteoarthritis. In rheumatoid arthritis, it's an inflammatory process. There are a lot of proteins and cytokines that are in the joint, and literally you sort of eat up your own joint. So you have a lot of deformity related to the lack of bone and cartilage. After the synovium, which becomes a very active process of literally dissolving the bone and the cartilage before it as it actually grows and becomes more vascular and full of all these proteins. And who's affected by juvenile arthritis? Most people don't know that about 300,000 children get juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. It can happen as, as young as under one, though the most common is it increases as children get older. So you'll see it peak around the ages of two to four, and then it increases in the adolescent years so that you sort of flow right into the peak incidence in your 20s and 30s of adult rheumatoid arthritis. And they're very different diseases. So if you looked at a joint in a child with ju- juvenile arthritis, you'd, you'd see very similar processes going on, but this is a growing body. So when you have a growing body that's affected by arthritis, you have a lot more growth abnormalities and problems. Mm -hmm. But they have similar complaints. They are stiff in the morning, but kids don't know how to say that. So they're often having trouble sort of getting going after a nap or when they get up in the morning, they just basically won't get up. And some people have come in with teenagers saying, you know, my child won't get up in the morning. And they think it's just normal for teenagedom, which yes. is true. Yes. But they have to really think about that because it often is because they really can't get out of bed. They're so stiff. So you have to keep that in mind when a person comes in or a family comes in saying, you know, I, my, my child has trouble getting going in the morning. And I've noted that they have limited activity. They're not running as much as they used to. Or they're having a delay in the onset of walking. And realize that there are 300,000 children with arthritis out there. What information might really assist um, the physician treating someone of any age in early detection? Certainly looking at our website, arthritis.org, is very helpful. It will give them a way to think about this. But clearly, if you look at any of the major texts, they'll go through this kind of approach of thinking about swelling, redness, and limited mobility. And then you should be thinking about arthritis and differentiating it from tendonitis or a problem with ligaments is that normally somebody who has a problem inside the joint will have limited 
passive mobility. So when you're talking about moving a joint through an active process, which means I move it myself, or a passive process, that means the physician just moves the joint and has the muscles relaxed. When somebody has a periarticular problem like tendonitis or a ligament problem, and you can get them to relax that muscle that is, is attaching to that tendon, you can actually move the joint through reasonable range of motion. But when the person has tendonitis and you ask them to do it themselves, due to pain, they won't move it at all. In contrasting that with arthritis, if there's a problem that's really making the joint unable to move, the passive and the active range of motion will be the same. So that's sort of a, a clinical tip yes. to try and get people to focus. What other kinds of tests are done in the early stages to confirm the diagnosis? Well, looking at whether there's an inflammatory process, so people often get sedimentation rates or CRPs. Now, they're general. They don't say it's a diagnosis of arthritis, and there is no perfect test that says mm. you actually know it's arthritis, but many people look for rheumatoid factor tests. They're positive in chronic infections and many other diagnoses, but if you have a person with swelling of a joint, limited mobility, and they have a positive rheumatoid factor, that would increase your suspicion yes. as well as uh, positive antinuclear antibodies in some of these diseases. But as I say, those are not totally diagnostic uh, tests. Yes. And how much impact can early detection have in slowing the development of the disease? It is incredible. And I think most people don't know that in rheumatoid arthritis, if we can treat them early with the kind of therapies we have today, you will change the natural history of that disease. If a person who knows they've had an injury, they had a football injury, and they're beginning to have trouble, which is early osteoarthritis, if they can keep themselves, their weight down, and keep them, their joints, uh, the muscles around their joints strong, you will change the natural history. They won't be disabled. So making a diagnosis early makes a huge difference. And the sooner we do that, the better. Yes. How much does genetics play a part in arthritis? It plays a large part depending on the type of arthritis that you have. Mm -hmm. In osteoarthritis, it plays less of a role than in rheumatoid arthritis, and there are many physicians making uh, their research careers trying to understand this. So people who get osteoarthritis early have it usually in their families. Early, we're talking about in the 30s and 40s. But the hand osteoarthritis is very genetically related. It's more common in women. And if your mother has had gnarled fingers related to osteoarthritis of the hands, that's completely genetically related. Now, in rheumatoid arthritis, there's probably what we call an autoimmune supergene. I'm not sure we've defined it clearly yet, but we know that if people have type 1 diabetes or autoimmune thyroiditis, they're more at risk to have something like rheumatoid arthritis in the family. Are there some cutting-edge studies that can teach us about the role of genetics? Absolutely. Actually, the foundation has, has been funding research that has been looking at sort of mapping uh, the genes that people feel are related to their arthritis, and I think that that's an exciting change, and there are many people looking into it. The National Institutes of Health has been funding research for many years that are looking at the genetics of different diseases. We haven't really talked much about systemic lupus erythematosus, but there's been a lot of exciting work looking at the genetic basis of that disease. Could you give us a high point? Well, I, I think what, we're, what people are looking at is there are genes that facilitate the inflammatory process, and then there are genes that we know are lead to more destruction. So I, I think mm -hmm. people are trying to actually get your personal genetic picture 
and then physicians would be able to say, I know you're at risk. So, for instance, if we, we don't know yet, but an example in rheumatoid arthritis would be that if you do carry the genes that predispose you, and we're getting close, but there are many of them. They're, they're not just one. Mm-hmm. If you take up smoking, you will get your rheumatoid arthritis earlier. So there are things that you can tell people in their behavior that will either delay the onset of something that we know is in your genetics. I think that's exciting that we'll be able to do that in the future. Yes. Behavior patterns really affect the expression of the gene. Absolutely. I want to thank Dr. Patience White, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing the various types and symptoms associated with arthritis. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.